It's been said that one team with an outbreak such as this is baseball's worst nightmare. Is that the way you look at this situation? I, I don't put this in the nightmare category. I mean, obviously, we don't want any player to get exposed. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not a positive thing, but I don't see it as a nightmare. We built the protocols to allow us to continue to play. That's why we have the expanded rosters. That's why we have the pool of uh, additional players. And um, we think we can keep people safe and continue to play. yesterday on MLB Network in response to the Miami Marlins COVID-19 outbreak. Welcome to the final call, episode 26. As always, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. No Ben Mamory is here with us today, but Jason Snow, the man with the easiest name in the Zoom, is here. Jason, how are you? Easiest name by far now. I mean, it wasn't really close before, but now, I mean, you're my only competition, so. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> so what are your, what's your response to the uh, to the Marlins outbreak, the outbreak within the, within the Miami yeah, within the Miami Marlins organization, it's it's not really surprising to be honest with you. I mean, COVID nineteen shook our worlds, and you know, watching the games, and you and I have been vigilantly watching the Red Sox and that mess. But the protocols aren't really, you know, they're not really taking hold yet. You know, guys aren't wearing masks religiously. You know, and. I think the traveling thing is a big part of it. I think if, you know, they were to do a bubble thing, that would be best case scenario. But when people suggest that, I think it's a little short-sighted, and here's why. Because it, NBA, right? NBA, no positive tests. It's been great. Great for them. But 15 players per team, roughly, 22 teams, that adds up to about 330 players, right? MLB with the expanded roster, 30 players. You can't cut out any teams for the competitive balance. That's 30 teams. Multiply that, that's 900. So it's, it's harder to, you know, rein in 900 players in comparison to 330. And I think, you know, it's easier to make basketball courts out of ballrooms. And stuff. <laughs> it's hard to find enough land to make baseball fields accompany that with, the, like, the need for a lot of hotels, big city, rural. It, it, it's just a mess, and I don't think there's a clear solution to it. But ultimately, it's not necessarily surprising. How big of a concern does this need to be for the league and the uh, other 29 teams? Huge concern. Huge concern. Because ultimately, if this spreads like a wildfire, and it's already like it's already affected four other teams, Yankees, Phillies got postponed. Um, Marlins, Orioles did too. 17 players or 17 members of the Marlins organization have tested positive so far for coronavirus. Exactly. It's, it's a huge issue. Yeah, I said a few weeks ago that I had very little confidence that Major League Baseball was going to be able to handle the situation properly. So far, they've proved me right. The plan was to have teams travel around the country instead of playing in a bubble city like the NHL and NBA. I think was reckless, personally, and I think it was irresponsible. Uh, we're only four games in the season, Jason, and we've already seen uh, half a team contract the virus. Uh, the, I think the Marlins are just the first, and I think we'll likely see more around the league as we continue to play as teams continue to travel i think they should have gone to the bubble i know it's a it's a tall order it's a tough task to do and it's you know it's not exactly easy with the amount of players and staff and that they have to, to make it work but if you're all for safety of your players and i i think that was the only choice because we've seen basket nba no positive tests within the bubble 
NHL, no positive tests within the bubble. Uh, I think the bubble was the way to go. And I think as long as we see teams traveling around the country, we're going to see more and more of this. And I don't put all this on the league either. I, I put a lot of the blame on the players as well. Uh, I want to read you this tweet from David Price. Quote, now we really get to see if Major League Baseball is going to put players' health first. Remember when Manfred said players' health was a paramount? Part of the reason I'm at home right now is because players' health wasn't being put first. I can see that hasn't changed. And I, I have a big problem with that, Jason, because I think the players have no one to blame but themselves. Because as a union, they signed off on this plan. They were willing to do this. So I think if they want to put, you know, cast blame or if they want to cite the league, they need to take a good hard look at themselves as well. No, I mean, I do see your point, and, you know, this can't all go on Manfred. I know Manfred's kind of been a punching bag throughout this whole thing, but Manfred tried to suggest Arizona as a spot early on, but it, Arizona emerged as a hot spot. They just kind of strayed away from that, and for good reason. Um, but I don't know if you watched uh, the uh, MLB Network last night, um, Monday night, rather, um, in Rob Manfred's interview, and he said, player safety is our number one concern. and you know, we'll sacrifice anything to keep these players healthy. That's just a lie. Why, why would you lie? Because if, the, if players' health is 100% the number one priority and money has nothing to do with it, then cancel the season. Because, you know, right now, if you can, like, continue to dig these guys into the ground, players are only going to get the virus even more and, you know, get threatened even more by this. So if players' health is really number one concern, then MLB ratings going through the roof shouldn't matter either. You know, Jason, so, Jason I, I don't think the players are taking their health as a con- are being that concerned about their health. They're not. We, 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 we've seen, you know, the league put in protocols to prevent this from happening. You know, no chewing gum, no spitting seeds, no high-fiving, no chest bumping, and, and, no, and you have to social distance. And we've seen players doing all of that in the first four games. And players okay? shouldn't. Players shouldn't, you know, go out of this scot-free either. They absolutely should be held accountable. But at the same time, a season's a season and travel is travel. So regardless if they're spitting seeds in the, into the ground, they're going to get the virus because they're traveling. I get that, but the players aren't mitigating the risk. There's, there was risk regardless. There's no risk doubt. within the bubble. Of course no there doubt. is. But the players who signed off on this plan with the league as a union, they said they wanted to play. No one's making them play, right? They could have sat at home like David Price is. Okay, but to say that this all falls on the league, I, I think is really it's immature to just to not want to take any of the blame because they signed off on this plan. They, they need to hold themselves responsible. They need to hold themselves accountable. We've seen them spitting, high fiving, not social distancing, players okay. not wearing masks. <laughs> yeah, you know they, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think the league deserves more blame than you're giving them. But at the oh, same time, it falls on the league as well. I, I, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is I think the players are trying to give, put it all on the league. I mean, look, again, look at that Price tweet saying that, you know, nothing has changed and this is all the league's fault. No, David. The players are complicit in this too. The players are responsible, but at the same time, it all comes down from the top. And if you... But, go ahead. No, no one gave the players coronavirus they got it themselves and what and however they just like the league put these protocols in place right the union signed off on it the union agreed to it and they're but they're not upholding it they're not following any of them right and if they can't follow it on the field 
I give them an icicle's chance on the sun that they're falling off the field. That's fair. That's fair to say. But at the same time, it all comes down from the league. If if the league said, "We're," I know a bubble is going to be hard, and we'll we'll walk you through. And I know the players said no to that, and they're they're liable for that. But at the same time, it all comes down from the top saying, "Oh." A roster is pretty much detonated right now because of the virus. We should, we could just pause play all. I mean, yeah, pause play altogether. But guess what? They didn't because the revenue's flowing in, and ultimately that's what drives the league. They, 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 I don't think they care about the players' health as much as they say. I think that's just just a bunch of hooey. So, do do you think the league will at all pull the plug? No, I mean, if it gets to a point where you know five to seven teams go down. And they're quote unquote have to forfeit the season, the season, and they're just not gonna play. And it comes down to a 22, 23 team league, and they're just gonna play who who's available. Then maybe if it gets big enough, but at this point, no, because money's coming in. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll pull the plug either. And I, I think there, there's too much at stake right now. It's not even just money, you know. But with all the league has been through the last five months, right? With the, the argument with the Players Association, the Astros, baseball has been put to the grinder so far at this point. And I, I, you know, hopefully this can all be contained to just the Marlins. No, no members of the Phillies or anyone else they come in contact with have tested positive yet. You know, thank goodness. But if this starts to break out to teams like the Phillies and the Braves, and then those teams spread it to, you know, the, the Rays and the Orioles and the Yankees and the Mets and all that, that that's when I would pull the plug. Uh, I don't think we're at the, you know, we're, we're not a, you know, just tear it all down moment just yet. Uh, I think, and I think a lot of it has to say that, remember, these are the Miami Marlins. Uh, Florida is a major hot spot for the coronavirus right now. You're seeing numbers there still rising every day. So I'm not really surprised that it was the Marlins. Um, I'm not ready to pull the season just yet. I'm, I'm going to, you know, spontaneously ask you this question, though. Okay. If if you're an owner, and if you're Rob Manfred, and baseball is largely considered, you know, a dying sport in comparison to others, and you know your TV revenue has not been good in seasons past, and ratings are finally through the roof, right? And people are watching baseball more than ever on TV because it's the only thing on. Are you are you not basking in that kind of glory there and saying, oh, ads are writing blank checks for us to, you know, say their slogan on the pregame show? Are oh, you? Are I'm sure that the league doesn't want to cancel games. I'm sure the owners want to keep making money, right? But the owners and the league and the union put these protocols in place, right? Mm-hmm. To keep the players safe. That's what players wanted. And frankly, they were more concerned about what they were getting paid more than what more than their safety was. I want to remind everyone of that. The players were way more concerned, and so were the owners. But everyone was more concerned about the how people would be paid rather than the safety on the field. That was a big topic up until – that's what basically kept baseball from coming back earlier. Um, so, yes, I understand that. The league is probably wanting to let this go as far as they can so they make as much money. But the players have – if they wanted to play, the players said they wanted to play, they need to be responsible, right? That means no going out for team dinners, no going to gentlemen's clubs uh, after games, no high-fiving on the field, nothing, none of that, right? My, my big my big problem with the players is that they they don't want to take any responsibility for their own actions. They really don't. They want to put it all on the owners. It's a 50-50 split, guys. You agreed to this. Yeah, no, you, 
you make a decent point when you say that, you know, maybe they are going out more than they should. And I'm not going to comment on that because I haven't seen it firsthand. But what I have seen is, you know, um, players high-fiving. Like you said, I'm, I have no problem with the, with the spitting and all that. That's just them stuck in their ways. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. I just can't. Like, this is what I think of. Like, when, when teams don't, you know, succeed year in and year out, I usually think, okay, what's going on? The roster's pretty good. The coach is all right. Oh, it's the owner. Like, I think it all comes down from league. And I know the, the players are not taking as much responsibility as, the, as they potentially should, and I think they should. But I, th- I just have to point the, the, point the finger at the owners on this. I just really do. But when it's an agreement between both sides, right? Right? And ultimately, the players are the ones that are responsible for their own health. Really. Right? I yes. disagree. Yes, they are. The owners are responsible for keeping them healthy in the workplace, right? And that's what they've done. They put in protocols. We've seen the Red Sox set up uh, locker rooms up in the suite, up in a luxury suites to, to enforce social distancing. We've we've seen all that. We those protocols were put in place. The owners agree to that, but the players have to follow them. The players need to follow them to keep them safe. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to a point that. I just don't. I just don't want to comment on what they're doing off the field because simply I just don't know, and simply I haven't seen. No, so, I don't know either. But again, if they can't follow the rules on the field, right? I'm just not going to assume. Are they, I, I have a hard time believing they're going to follow them off the field as well. Do you think a bubble? Oh, would a bubble. Have, yes. Would that have? Would that have cured all? No, it's not going to be cure all. It's not going to completely eliminate the risk factor. Right, but I think we wouldn't have had an outbreak with uh, from the Marlins within the first four games of the season. I think it's easier said than done. I think it's easier to just say, "Oh, bubble." Okay, I don't. So, I don't think. I don't think travel's the right answer. I simply. I don't have any ideas to offer, to be honest. But I just don't think a bubble would have been logistically easy to do. Or of course, it's not easy to do. Look how look how much effort and time went into the NHL and the NBA planning their bubbles. Again, those figured out, right? But Major League Baseball has continued to just we're gonna the players. This the players didn't want to go into a bubble. The league offered a bubble, but the players said no. Okay, and yeah, I understand and- it's 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 easier said than done. But when when safety. When safety is your biggest concern and you want, are all about your own safety, wouldn't you want to put yourself in the best situation to be safe? They could have opted out. They didn't have to go into the bubble. But at some point, if you want to be concerned about your own safety, you got to do what's best for it. My question with the bubble is, though, and I know everyone's just so quick to you know, put that out there and propose it. Why? You have three times as many people as the other two leagues, and you – they could have done it. They they were thoughts about doing two or three bubble cities: one in Arizona, one in uh, Florida. What, Jason? It just it, it doesn't sound if right. Safety is what do you mean? It doesn't sound right. It's it's the best option to keep players safe, and the players said no to it. How, the, the NBA had to make basketball courts out of ballrooms. How are you? How are you going to find enough land in a hotel with enough ho- with a city with enough hotels to encapsulate nine hundred people? I, and I'm still aware build of that. baseball fields. How? I'm How is that logistically that. going to happen, though? I'm very aware of that. It's not. As, it won't be as easy to build a bubble city for baseball than it is for hockey in in uh, in Canada, or it was 
for the for the NBA to build a bubble city in Disney World. I'm not saying that. Of course, it's gonna be more difficult with the amount of people in the space. Of course, it is. But at some point, the players are gonna have to make a sacrifice, and they continue and continue to place all the blame on the owners when they're just as much responsible. I'm just saying, don't. I, nobody should say that the players' health is number one when they continue to play. If, if players' safety is number one, and you want to keep everyone safe, and that's the the top priority, and that's the end-all, be-all, then cancel the season because people are just going to get more threatened by the virus. But, but right. money's rolling in, so keep it going, right? Play ball. Players don't seem to be complaining. I, I've, all I've, I haven't heard anything from an active player yet. I've seen from David Price who's sitting at home, and I've seen it from a couple of retired players. But no active player seems to be complaining. And I think that's because they know they can't because ultimately they're responsible for their own health, right? We're up against it here. Uh, coming up next, we're going to get into uh, more coronavirus talk. Uh, the NFL is having players opt out uh, just as training camp starts getting underway. We'll give you our thoughts next on that here on the final call. Jason, football is on the fast track back. Is it? <laughs> it is. Training camp starts today. Rookies report. Um, but as many rookies report today, a lot of veterans seem to be opting out. So far, we've had close to 11 uh, NFL vets opt out, including six on the New England Patriots alone due to concerns of the coronavirus. What are your, what's your reaction to NFL players opting out of the season so far? Um, it's, it's a little concerning because I really don't know where the, the trajectory of the league is at this point. I don't know, you know where their heartbeat is at, whether you know, this will impact their return to play. But like I said, training camp moves forward, and you know, we'll see how it goes. So over the weekend, the players put, uh, a lot of star players put together uh, basically a collective effort to push for better you know, uh, protocols for, co- for coronavirus. We saw it on Twitter with players saying, we want to play, but this, we want to be safe. Right. And so I know I was all over the players in Major League Baseball last time, but I'm completely behind the players in the, in the NFL uh, for this. I, I don't blame them for wanting better, uh, for wanting better protocols for this because obviously their health is what's most important. And the NFL just finalized these plans over the weekend and it took players demanding that over Twitter to make it happen. You know, the plan was finalized and agreed to by both the league and players association, but players are still deciding to opt out, which tells me that whatever plans the league put in place uh, aren't going to be very effective and that players don't seem to have a lot of confidence in it. Yeah. The protocols plus the nature of play, you know, football is by its own nature, the most contact driven sport. And I think that has to do a lot with people having concerns and people have concerns in baseball too. And that's, you know, the most socially distant sport. And if, you know, there are concerns there, then football, you're right on top of each other. So I think that, you know, that's been repeated over and over throughout the news. Um, But at the same time, I think it's it's a legitimate point. What more do you think the NFL could do to help us protect their players? Um, Again, do you think a bubble city is viable for football um, than it is for baseball? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth a try. Um, like, uh, like I said before, it's a hard to hone in that amount of people in comparison to the NBA and NHL. But at the same time, we're seeing how travel goes nowadays, and it's not working. And I think, you know, if you try to duplicate what MLB is doing, 
it won't work out well. So I think it's worth a try to come out with a like a uh, football bubble. Will it be successful and will it be too hard, too big to contain? I don't know. So there's really only one, if they're going to do a bubble, and I think that's what all sports should do at this point, you know, mm-hmm. keep it in one area, keep players from traveling in and out, um, do what the NBA has done and put in strict uh, violations. Uh, if you, if you're, if you go outside the bubble, all that, yep. there's the one place that really only makes sense for football is Texas. Um, but the amount of, you know, giant high school fields, college stadiums, yep. Jerry, you know, Jerry rolls right here in Dallas where I am right now. Um, it, it's really the only place that makes sense. Unfortunately, the numbers here in Texas are still rising with coronavirus. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. It, it's a big ask, but I think if we're, if you're going to go with the what MLB has done so far and have your teams travel around the country, you're setting up yourself up for failure. Exactly. You really are. And you mentioned that football is a contact sport. And of course, you, you know, in theory, that's what's going to make, uh, that's what, that's what's going to help the virus spread. But not even just that, but some owners still think that they're, they're going to have fans in the stands. Like you're going yeah. to put your own, like the people who pay your bills at risk. Like that's insane to me. It really is. That Especially still- when, yeah, especially when the NFL is a TV show at, <laughs> right now more than ever. Exactly. And I think, I think the NFL has had way too cavalier of an attitude when it comes to handling this. They've had months and months. They haven't been affected by this yet. If anyone, they should be the ones that, that are handling it best. Yep. With, with the amount of time they've had to prepare. The, and, they the, say, and they just it seems like they're going to try to fit a, a round uh, peg into a square hole here. Yeah, I'm sorry for cutting for cutting no, you're off good. a little bit, a little delay. But um, yeah, their their hand hasn't been pushed to the fire at all. They they've been throughout this whole thing. The league sat back and when their biggest conflict was how are we going to broadcast the draft on TV? That that's been the, <laughs> that's been their biggest issue throughout this whole thing. So they're the league just kind of like popping, you know, sitting back, laying back, watching all these teams trial and error, throw things up against the wall. And it'd be honestly, it'd be a shame if they went out and was like, all right, thirty two teams. All you have to travel eight times a year, and in the Patriots' case, two West Coast trips. That that would be foolish, and that would be naive. So, I think a bubble would is worth a try. It's worth a swing. My concern is is that bubble too big? That it's it's thin and it's going to pop. I see what you mean. Um, good analogy, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. But a bubble seems to be like really the only viable way to have a sports exactly. season at this point. Exactly. Like it's going to be hard. No one's saying it's easy. I'm not saying what, you know, Oh, you could just go into a bubble and you know, everything will be fine. No, there's still a risk. I'm sure there will, that we're going to see, even though initially we haven't seen any NFL, I mean, any NBA or NHL players get sick. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. But if you want to minimize the risk, you got to do a bubble to keep it all contained in one area with, to stop people from traveling, to stop people from interacting with uh, the public. You can't have it. If you want to have a season, a bu- I think the bubble's the only way to go. What do you think of the collective effort of players pushing for better uh, COVID-19 protocols on Twitter over the weekend, though? Powerful. Because it really – we talked about this the other day um, in regards to trade demands. It's becoming – more of a player's league. And I, it's, it's becoming more of a league where the league takes their players' sentiments seriously now. It's, it's not necessarily the, the NFL brand. It's the Patrick Mahomes brand. It's the Russell Wilson brand. It's the Lamar Jackson brand. We're seeing it now where 
players can now have a legitimate voice because of social media. And I think it's a great thing. Um, and we're, we're seeing now that, you know, Todd Gurley was very outspoken. Russell Wilson was very outspoken. These guys that in the past might've shied away from something like that because of the nature of the NFL. And now they have a voice and it's paying off for them. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that players are using their voices. I think the NFL has been a league where it's sort of just been, you know, shut up and play. And again, I know I was all over the MLB players, yeah. but uh, I'm fully behind NFL players here because again, it's been an owner's league for so long. Yep. The NFL players have no power, no guaranteed contracts. They're not being protected from the coronavirus properly. Uh, I, I fully support these players. And, and you're right. I, I think powerful was a great word to use. And I'm glad to see that these guys, like, even though they're like opponents on the field, that when it comes for the greater good of the game, they're willing to work together to help better it, which is what Major League Baseball players have failed to do year in and year out. And, and by the way, this should be noted. All the players that are opting out are veteran players, like you said. And exactly. I think they look at Eduardo Rodriguez, our own Eduardo Rodriguez in the in MLB, not to you know link the two, but I think they go hand in hand. They look at what happened to him, and you know injury prone, and you know he's had some you know slip ups, um, and now he has a heart um, condition because of COVID, and it's impacted him more than anyone else that I can think of in sports. So they probably look at Eduardo and go like, "Oh man, he's 27, and you know I know it's a person to person thing, but that could potentially happen to me too." Exactly. Especially you know if I've been dinged up in in the NFL, and which is more likely now than ever, but like. You look at that and go, I have a leg to stand on here. I'm not going to let what happened to Eduardo Rodriguez happen to me. And especially, I, I think rookies want to gain that respect of, oh, we're going to play through whatever. So I think that's why they haven't really summoned the courage to you know, have a voice to say, I'm stepping out. They're just reporting because they really don't have much leverage. But veteran players that have proved themselves in this league are looking at guys like Eduardo Rodriguez and saying, I'm going to protect myself. Yeah, uh, you know, with players, a lot of them have a, a pre-existing conditions or conditions that you know that are that will make them a higher risk for getting the virus. Uh, Marcus Cannon of the New England Patriots uh, is, is a cancer survivor, and yep. he opted out. So, and and I'm obviously these guys need to do what's best for their health, and I think that the fact that they are, it, it speaks a lot. It really does. That you know, I'm very happy that these guys are feeling. The, the the support that they're that they can opt out without having any pressure or any penalty put on them. But I want to read this quote uh, from uh, Jason McCourty of the Patriots. Uh, quote: "I'm not going to lie. For me, as a fellow player, I go on social media and it makes me very nervous to think there will be a season. Um, how much? Obviously, so the Patriots have had six players opt out so far. Let's just, we'll focus on them for a little bit. How big of a loss is it that you know guys like Marcus Cannon?" Uh, Dante Hightower has opted out. Pat Chung opted out in the last, what, uh, like half hour. How big of a loss is it for the Patriots to have those guys opting out? It's a huge loss. And I don't want to get ahead of my, you know, ahead of myself here, but Trevor Lawrence looks pretty good. In, uh, no, just kidding, we're I'm not kidding, going kidding. down that I'm, way. I'm kidding. We're I'm not kidding. doing it. I'm I will not allow that. I just, I just wanted that reaction. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it's no coincidence that, you know, those six guys, you know, Cannon's an influential voice. Those guys are influential in that locker room, especially, you know, McCourty, if he decides to step out too. It, they're influential voices and they're, they're team leaders. They're veterans that have been there before, won championships. Outside of Tom Brady, those veterans, you know, speak loudly in that locker room. And I think it's, it's going to be, you know, contagious to the rest of the team. And ultimately, it, 
I, I say this over and over again, and so is everyone else, but I want sports back, but if they can't get it down, you know, and, and Patriots have seen, you know, substantial losses to their roster and it's become thinning, you know, thinning out over the hours. Are we going to have a season that, you know, the question, you know, hangs in the balance. Yeah. And the Patriots have been the team that's been hit hard so far. Exactly. And, you know, I think that speaks to the type of player, the Patriots, you know, typically seek a smart yeah. player on and off the field. Good point. You know what I mean? These guys are intelligent. They, they're aware of what's going on. They're not just, you know, you know, they're not only football oriented, I think. And that's, you know, that's what's been being shown here. As for how it's going to affect them on the field. You're right, Jason. These are veteran guys. And with the amount of turnover that's already happened for that team so far this year, this is going to really hurt. I think it will. Yeah, I mean, like we said before the show, just joking around. If Marshall Newhouse has to start a game for the Patriots, then, you, you know, your season's pretty much over. Um, <laughs> All right, we're up against it here. So coming up next here on the final call, we'll get into the trade between the Seattle Seahawks and the New York Jets. Shipping Jamal Adams to Seattle. We'll give you our thoughts here next on the final call. Giant trade made over the weekend between the Seattle Seahawks and New York Jets, sending Jamal Adams along with the fourth round pick over to Seattle. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts of this trade? From from which perspective? Give me uh, just give me both. Absolutely love it for both sides, and here's why. For Seattle, they don't necessarily draft well in the first round. Their last three drafts: L.J. Collier, Rashad Penny, and Jermaine. Ifedi, um, Rashad Penny had took some snaps, but ultimately wasn't good, especially for a running game that had to bring in Marshawn Lynch last year. The, the, they don't, their first round picks don't pan out by and large. So to give up two for any other team, to give up two first round picks for any other team would be a you know a significant loss and something you know to heavily consider. But for a team like Seattle that doesn't really make their money on first round picks, and you get a top ten player in the NFL. I pulled the trigger on that instantly. They were, they were 22nd in the league in rushing um, defense a season ago. Jamal Adams is certainly going to help that. They were 24th in, 24th in sacks. Jamal Adams is kind of like a Swiss Army knife in a sense. He's, he, he can play in coverage, but mostly he makes his money, you know, crowding up on the box and, you know, making quarterbacks uncomfortable. And their running game is kind of, you know, ripping apart their running game. So I, I think, you know, Jamal Adams will fit great in Seattle. Um, and for the New York Jets, they get more draft pick compensation, and you know they don't have to pay Jamal, Jamal Adams that huge contract he's been begging for. Yeah, I, I love this trade, and I just want to break down the full trade before I give my take on it. Yep. So Seahawks get uh, Jamal Adams and the Jets' fourth-round pick in 2021. The Jets get Bradley McDougal, a safety, and also a first-round pick in 2021, a third-round pick in 2021, and a first-round pick in 2022. Um, I, I love the fit. For, of Jamal Adams in Pete Carroll's defense. He turns an already scary Seahawks defense into what I, it, I think the Seahawks defense is going to be the most physical and ferocious defense in the NFL next year. I really do. Uh, it's going to be nearly impossible to run against them with Adams and uh, Bobby Wagner in the middle of that defense. And really, I feel bad for any receiver who has to run ac- across and right over the middle because Adams and Wagner are going to take their heads off. They really will. Uh, as for the Jets, 
I think this is another great move by uh, another GM Joe Douglas. I think he absolutely knocked this trade out of the park. Uh, he got two first-round picks, and uh, hopefully he uses one of them to, try, to help improve that offensive line, help get more help for San Darnold. Uh, and he, now also you mentioned, uh, he, now he has the money to go out and sign other free agents. Uh, to be quite honest, I love this move for both sides. I really do. But I think we'll be able to say in, in a few years from now, that the Jets won this deal because I didn't think they get two first round picks for Jamal Adams. Yeah, you could say that, but at the same time, those first round picks are more likely going to be towards the back end of it, so they're going to be more like early seconds than than first rounders. I hear but you. I, I think either way, a first round pick's a first round pick, and I think it's right. a lot. I think that's a lot to give up for a safety. As good as Jamal Adams is, he's he's limited in coverage like he can cover but he's not a ball hawk he's more of a hybrid linebacker and he's gonna play that sort of exact same role that cam chancellor played for the seahawks yep. for so long and was yep. so good at like he, jamaz will flourish in seattle i really think that i'm not sure if he was worth two first rounders i think the, the jets got an absolute haul for him yeah but if, if i look back at the, the past picks and go you can either draft two more of those guys or have a top 10 player in the NFL. I'm, I'm going to take Jamal Adams. I think for this trade to be out of this world successful for the Seahawks, they have to be in an NFC championship game. Is, is that, is that out of the realm of possibility that, that it, this trade is only deemed a success if they, if they accomplish that. So I don't know. I, I feel like this, the addition of Adams is a move that, strengthens what was already strength for the Seahawks, but doesn't really fix the glaring problem they've had, which is all, you know, almost entirely been on the offensive side of the ball. Um, their offensive line has been an issue for years and they really haven't had a go to receiver receiver either. Uh, so Russell Wilson sort of had to carry them for his entire career. Almost. Uh, they added Philip Dorsett and an Asian Greg Olson this off season, but neither of those guys really moves the needle. Adding Jamal Adams doesn't really change anything for this team. It just only adds what to what they were already good at. So I'm not sure if it really puts them above the the Niners. Again, it makes their defense better, but their their issues have almost consistently been on offense. Um, Marshawn Lynch isn't what he used to be. Uh, I loved I like Tyler Lockett. I think DK Metcalf. Hopefully, he makes that next step. But ultimately, the the additions and the change that this team needs is on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, you could say that, but what what about the stats that I just read off? Twenty second in rushing defense, and you know, twenty fourth in sacks. That's that's not exactly good. Yeah, fair. Um, so Adams will help with that. He really will. and he'll definitely help against that uh, a very potent Forty uh, Nineers running running attack. Um, they're still going to be better than the than the, than the Rams. Uh, I think the Cardinals will make a, make a big step up this year, but I don't think they're just they're quite as good as the Seahawks are. But I don't think this trade really gets them above the Niners. It might put them maybe on the same plane, maybe a little bit below. But ultimately, they got they're going to have to score the ball. They're going to they're going to have to score. Right, and I and I saw a stat the other day. Where did I see it? it, it but at, regardless, the point differential for the Seahawks all year they outscored their opponents by only seven points. So I think I think that alludes to your offensive struggles. Um, you know, the point that you were making about offense. I, I think that, you know, they need to trust Russell Wilson more. And I know the run game was kind of beaten down last year, but at the same time, they need to let him 
let it rip. I mean, he can he can make plays, and this team, you know, was a ground and pound team for the last couple of years. This isn't the same Seahawks team as it was three years ago. They they shipped Richard Sherman out of town. You know, they had to pick up Quandre Diggs in the middle of last season. The defense had some holes, and I I think you know when you think of Seattle, you think. You probably think Pete Carroll first smash mouth football. No, that shouldn't be what this is anymore because the running game isn't what it used to be and the defense isn't what it used to be. And now with the addition of Jamal Adams, could it be viewed as desperate potentially? But at the same time, they need to surround quality football players around Russell Wilson. And if you can lower some of those games from, you know, low 30s, high 20s into potentially, you know, 22 points per game, Russell Wilson can score that for you, no doubt. Yeah, I think that... My issue with that, though, is that asking your quarterback to carry your team year in and year out is a big ask. You know, we've seen that through the Packers doing that with Aaron Rodgers, and they haven't gone back to Super Bowl. Um, the the Seahawks haven't been back to a Super Bowl since they lost the Patriots. Um, ultimately, it's a, it's a, it's a full team effort. It's not just the teams with the best players that get the Super Bowl every year. It's the player. It's the teams with the most complete roster. And again. Adding Jamal Adams, good move. I like the fit, but he doesn't really move the needle. He only makes a strength, what well, was already a strength, stronger. I don't think it can be considered a strength, I, though. But it, I don't think it changes that much. Um, I think it does, to be honest. I mean, it, it probably doesn't change too much in the wins and losses column. And it probably brings them closer to San Francisco. I would still take San Francisco in a matchup, neutral field or not. But ultimately... If you add a top 10 player in the NFL to an NFL roster, that's, that's going to pay some dividends for you. And like you said, teams aren't going to be able to run the football. That's, that's simply, <laughs> that's where, you know, a lot of teams, you know, that's where their bread is buttered. Yeah, but in a passing league now, in, an air, you know, in a league where we're seeing quarterbacks throw the ball more than we ever have, and that's sort of the one place where Jamal Adams kind of struggles. He doesn't really, he's a good in the box, he can cover the flat, but deep in coverage, he's not exactly great at it. Question for you. How did San Francisco get to the Super Bowl? With a ferocious defensive line and a running attack. Running game. They, they, need, to, they need to win that division. And, you I understand know, that. So, it, it, again, it helps them against the Niners. But what, happens when, they, right, but what happens when they got to go play the Saints? They got to go up and play the Eagles. Or, like, the, the NFC is a stacked, is a stacked uh, conference. Exactly, but from San Fran- from Seattle's perspective, I can understand them saying we yeah. got to get through San Francisco first and foremost. Yeah, fair. And it, from from the Jets' perspective, though, this is a great had, move for them. I, I love, I really love this move for them. Where do they stand in the, in the division right now? Oh, they'll they'll be bottom of the a- a- uh, the AFC East. Last, they'll be. Um, I don't know. They might be – they're probably neck and neck with the Dolphins. I'm not ready to put them last yet, but they're not going to be first or second. With the Patriots' subtractions, though. They're, they're not as good as the Patriots. They're just not. And, again, you got to remember, Adam Gase is still their head coach. And uh, before uh, Jamal Adams was traded, he still uh, found a way to drag Adam uh, Gase through the coals one more time, saying, uh, quote, I don't feel like he's the right leader for this organization to reach the uh, promised land. As a leader, what really bothers me is that he doesn't have a relationship with everybody in the building. Adam said that in the New York Daily News in reference to Adam Gase. What do you think of that quote, Jason? It's gut-level honest from his, from his perspective. He, he was benched at times last year. I think 
obviously he's an offensive guy and defensive guys probably they clash heads more than it's publicized. But at the same time, what is it? You you mentioned this a handful of times. What has Adam Gase really done to warrant a head coach another head coaching job? I mean, he not much to be honest. And from when I saw this trade, I first thing that came to mind was is that and I'm I'm sorry for straying away from your question, but when you want to get out of a place that isn't desirable as a player, and if you're as good as a player as Jamal Adams, is making noise and causing an uproar the right way to go? Because it's rewarded Anthony Davis, it's rewarded you know Jamal Adams, it's you know rewarded a handful of guys. Is that the right way to go? So, I, I gave this some thoughts this last night, and uh, when we first started discussing Jamal Adams uh, requesting a trade, I was f- uh, almost fully against him. You know, being so outspoken about wanting out, but you know, I thought about it. And it's like the guy is unhappy. He's unhappy. He's and he just shouldn't have to stay somewhere. He's unhappy. Mm-hmm. So I, I have no problem really with what how with what he's doing. And I don't think he was. You know, he made uh, a mockery of himself. He wasn't like what uh, Antonio Brown did. It's not right. what Le'Veon Bell did in Pittsburgh. He's. It's not what Odell Beckham Jr. did in with the Giants. I. You know, he disrespected the team, but he still kind of kept his dignity. I think. And, and to be honest, he probably didn't look too bad because the Jets are the Jets. And it, yeah. <laughs> he, had a, he had a solid point. And as for Adam Gase, uh, you know, he's going to be under a microscope this year. His first season as a Jets was a failure, as a Jets head coach was a failure. And, you know, Adams, uh, Jamal Adams' comments echoed that. I don't think the Jets' record is going to be very great this year, but I need to see some sort of development from Sam Darnold because, you know, Adam Gase, his reputation has always been quarterback whisperer, Develops quarterbacks. He's a great offensive-minded head coach. I need to see some sort of development from Sam Darnold, who seemed to take about five steps backwards in his second season. Not hurt, though. He missed like eight games. I know, but in the games he played in, he was, again, quote, seeing ghosts. You need Against and, the Patriots. <laughs> I know, but still, still, Jason, you need to see... One of the best see, defenses in the league. I get that, but you need to see some sort of progression from him, right? You want to see those guys getting better year in and year out. And we haven't seen that from Sam Darnold. We've saw we've seen Josh Allen take a, a big step last year. Uh, Lamar Jackson won the MVP award, right? I think Sam Darnold and was the guy who's supposed to be drafted number one overall in that draft until the uh, the Browns surprised everyone by taking Baker Mayfield. But Sam Darnold was supposed to be the guy coming out of that draft who was supposed to be the guy, and he hasn't showed it yet. Yeah, he he's had mono last year and he missed eight games but now this year we're gonna have to have him see some sort of progression him take some sort of step forward take more of a leadership role with that team something and that's what's going to put more faith in me to trust adam gates and to trust this overall jets organization when, when people evaluate sam darnold can i just ask one thing can you give him a fair shake can, can, can you give him, can you add some context to this john josh allen shined because of that defense and they added stefan diggs all, all the uh, Sam Darnold got was his his best player gone, Jamal Adams, and they couldn't re-sign Robbie Anderson, who went to Carolina, and he has to deal with Adam Gase. But Lamar Jackson has eleven Pro Bowls, Pro Bowlers on this team. This is an indictment on Sam Darnold. This is an indictment on the Jets. The Jets can't surround him with good players. Chris Herndon can't stay on the field. Adam Gase, like Jamal Adams said, is chaotic. They they haven't supported, like you said, the offensive line. Hopefully, they draft an offensive lineman. Knowing them, they'll probably get like a cornerback. Well, they they did draft Makai Becton in the first round this year, and we'll cross our fingers to see how that goes. But I'm just saying, like, I don't have like, can we please like ever? All these young quarterbacks have something to hold on to, except Sam Darnold. 
Like I get that. No, the Jets have been a very chaotic organization, right? But it's the, jo- yeah, it's, it's the job of the head coach to sort of keep that quarterback on the straight and narrow, right? To keep him focused. We've seen that fail so far in Chicago with Mitch Trubisky, and I think that's sort of where Sam Darnold's heading. And Mitch Trubisky's had way, way more help than Sam Darnold has. The, the Bears have a great defense. But we haven't seen Sam Darnold make that next step, the next step that a lot of quarterbacks have made. And I think he's a better quarterback than Josh Allen. But so far, Josh Allen has had a better career. Because you know, of what's surrounding him. Like, it's not can – we, can we please add some context to this? Like, Sam, like Sam Darnold's on the same trajectory as – like, Obviously, he's not as good as Andrew Luck was. But if you look at these teams like Chuck Pagano, Adam Gase, kind of a toss-up, Ryan Grigson. I know Joe Douglas is probably better, but at the same time, it's the same amount of support so far. Uh, Andrew Luck still led the league in touchdowns. That, that's why I'm saying he's not as good, but I'm just saying if you look at the surrounding cast, they're pretty comparable. I mean, it's, Sam Darnold hasn't gotten any support. He hasn't gotten a lick of support. You look at right. all these quarterbacks that you say have make, made good strides. Baker's had OBJ to cling on to. Lamar's had 11 Pro Bowlers and John Harbaugh in the stable of Baltimore to cling on to. Josh Allen has the defense. Um, um, oh, Lamar Jackson? Ky- Kyler Murray has the fit. Lamar Jackson has 11 Pro Bowlers. Lamar, uh, Kyler Murray has the fit of the college coach. I'm just saying, all these guys who are, you know, I just don't, I'm not going to blame it on Sam Darnold if he comes out and throws no, 22 I'm not, touchdowns. I'm not blaming, I'm not blaming uh, Sam Darnold. I'm blaming Adam Gase for not developing the quarterback. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think I need to see some progression from Sam Darnold, right, to have faith in Adam Gase. That's what I'm saying. I'm, this is not an indictment on Sam Darnold. All I'm saying is I'm using Sam Darnold as evidence to say, like, if Adam Gates is supposed to be a quarterback whisperer and supposed to be a guy who can develop quarterbacks and build offenses and, you know, is a great offensive mind, your starting quarterback should be playing better than he is, and he hasn't. And that's more of an indictment on poor coaching than it is on Sam Darnold's actual ability. Thank you. That's what I was saying. I think Preach, missed- preaching to the choir. Right. I, this is not, I'm not saying Sam Darnold sucks. I'm saying okay. he's been handed a bad – he just hasn't progressed to the level he should have at this point because – uh, you know, poor roster decisions, and because the head coach sucks. That, that being said, though, I know I, I know I kind of clowned on the Jets for the lack of support. I think they should have re-signed Robbie Anderson, but at the same time, this Jamal Adams deal—they got as much as they—they <laughs> they got know, an they absolute all of this. Yes, and I, you know, I'm giving a lot of credit to Joe Douglas for this. He's been really good at, for the, as their GM so far. He's made a lot of great moves, and this is another one. No doubt. All right, so that's about all the time we have here on the final call this week. As always, we are available on wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And final check call out, FCC. That's right. And make sure you check out Jason and I's blog, um, me and Jason's blogs. Uh, New England Sports United gets you all the coverage you need for New England sports. And check out the scoreboard times while you're at it too. Come check out my blog and see what I'm, what up, uh, what I'm up to over there. Yeah, but, we're talking a lot of uh, Red Sox pitching and how that's – Brutal. So if you're interested in me whining about that, go check out any <laughs> New England Sports United. Exactly. So for Jason Snow, for Ben Memories, who is not here today but should be back some point soon, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been the final call on Radio Massasoit.
some kind of way out of here. Say that joker to the